Hello, beautiful. I'm your host, Samantha Roberto, and I want to thank you for joining the conversation. We are a space of women empowering women, and each week we dive into authentic and vulnerable stories with our guests because we believe it's important to have these conversations to learn and grow from one another. So subscribe to get your weekly dose of inspiration. So it's Christmas week, and it's usually one of the times of the year where we throw all of the food rules out the window and indulge. Personally, I love it, but my body, maybe not so much. With the abundance of holiday parties and celebrations, we can tend to get a bit off track with our eating habits. So I figured I'd bring an expert who deals with food on a daily basis. So today I'm chatting with Marina Yanai Triner. She is a plant-based health coach that brings together evidence-based nutrition, delicious and simple cooking, and deep mindset work to support her clients in discovering their own well-being. So before we dive into our conversation, I have a question for you. Right now, in this moment, as you're listening to this, do you think you could be a prisoner of your past? Where something might have happened years ago, whether it was big or small, left its mark and now keeps showing up and triggers you in different ways? Marina is here to share her personal story of how an abusive relationship in her teens left her with a victim mentality for years and this debilitating pattern kept showing up within the dynamic of food in her life. We talk about how your relationship with food is actually a reflection of what can be going on with you emotionally, and Marina is here to share how she overcame her challenges in this department and how you can too. Stay tuned to the end to hear Marina's Clean Your Fridge Challenge to start the new decade as the healthiest version of you. Now let's get to it. What has your relationship with food throughout your life been like? I wasn't always mindful. So when I was a kid, it was just like really random in my house. We ate whatever. And I come from a Ukrainian family. So it was like really heavy on meat and potatoes. And the consciousness was really like, if we don't have meat, we can't survive. We're not wealthy. Meat is really like the way to have money from my grandparents kind of filtering down. And then when I was around eight, my parents decided to be more conscious around food and they started paying attention, not buying processed foods. And they kind of went on, I would call it just like an unprocessed diet. That's what it was. And they actually asked me if I would like to join, which is really cool. And it's like a big memory that I have that they really wanted my opinion and not just force me into it. And I did. And yeah, the whole family was eating that way until we moved to the U.S., which is like such a common immigrant story. <laughs> oh, so you were in Ukraine. Like you grew up in Ukraine. No. So I lived in Ukraine until I was two and then I moved to Israel. Ah, okay. So this was when you were in Israel. And you know what? I have to highlight like how forward thinking of your parents to ask you as a child, as opposed to like, hey, just eat your meat and potatoes. Hey, finish all your food. Like just telling. That's really admirable. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's my mom. She always said, you always had such strong opinions and I always had to ask. <laughs> so it's really cool. Yeah. And it's not something like very common in our culture, in the Ukrainian culture to like ask kids. They were usually forced into things but my mom and I had a different relationship which is really beautiful then when we moved to the U.S. this is such a common immigrant story we just went into the processed food like all the way like we would 
just eat fast food and deep fried food and stuff like that, really not paying attention. And like when I was a kid, my mom would even like juice for me and she was really into fruits and vegetables. And I always had fruit for breakfast. Like that was a normal thing for me. And yeah, it just became really processed. There was a lot of stress, you know, moving into a new country. They didn't know anyone. It was literally my parents and I and it was scary for them and so yeah that stress really led to just eating whatever came their way and my mom actually got really sick Uh, she got a disease called interstitial cystitis which is a bladder disease that basically feels like a UTI you know the burning of a UTI but just like all the time it's really horrific. It's, I mean, a lot of women get it and they quit their jobs. Women feel like they want to end their life. It's that extreme. It's just so painful and like all the time. Is it going Even for like then. months? Like is it months and months and months of constant pain? Eight years. Eight years. Whoa. Yeah, it was terrible. Like I lost my mom completely. You know, she couldn't talk because she was always in pain and she would have to pee every five minutes so she wouldn't leave the house even at night so it was like such an extreme thing that she had to deal with and then when I finished college she actually couldn't even stay my college graduation it was really debilitating and when I finished college I moved back to Israel and when I would visit she was not functioning you know she wasn't able to focus on our conversation and I think that really gave her the motivation to change and she of course she tried all the doctor things the injections the painkillers all the things and it didn't heal her and so when she changed her diet she actually healed herself so what did she change in her diet well what she did was actually very extreme and I I like to talk about it because it's inspiring, but I also really want to say, like, please don't do this on your own ever. (laughs) Please don't Uh, try this at home. If you do want to do it, there are centers. So in Northern California, there's a center called True North, and that's where you can fast. And that's what my mom did. She water fasted for a whole month on water. The first time that she did it was like two weeks and then she just went back to her old diet and through the fast, all the pain was gone. But then, yeah, it was amazing. But then when she went back to her diet, it came back really bad. So then she decided to do it again for a month and then she transitioned to a raw vegan diet. For anyone who doesn't know what the heck that is, it's basically a vegan diet, but you don't cook anything. So it's pretty uh, restrictive. It doesn't include beans or grains and no like potatoes, no starches. No starchy food, no legumes. Yes, exactly. And that's what I did for four years because I saw my mom and I was like, oh, raw vegan, you know, it worked for my mom. It must work for me. And so that's how I started. So when you say it must work for you were you facing health issues as well I had really bad PMS that was like a big thing Um, when I got my period I would faint I would throw up like it was extreme I can share a crazy story when I was like 22 I think I was driving from work to home because I got my period it was literally like I had painkillers everywhere like I couldn't leave the house without painkillers. And I I forgot them. And I drove home from work and I 
stop the car because I just couldn't deal, you know, with the amount of pain. I opened the door. I took off my seatbelt to like go rest. And I just like fainted into the road. It was the scariest thing ever. And I woke up and there was just a woman like freaking out. She almost ran me over. Just like, you know, what's going on? You know, and then she called the ambulance. And it was just really, really extreme. Every month I felt like, okay, I'm getting ready. All my systems are ready for this crazy thing. You're waiting for this thing just to take over your system. Which is crazy because your mother, she had the bladder and something else down there too. And you had something manifesting in that area as well. Well, we started having these issues kind of at the same time, which is when I was sexually assaulted. I think like this is my feeling is that it's very emotional, like the basis of it. Um, When I was 15 years old, I got into my first relationship and it was very abusive, not only like sexually abusive, but emotionally abusive. And this person was in our house, kind of part of our family. And after that is when my mom got sick and I started having really painful periods. I was 15 and he was 18. I was really like a little kid, pretty much. At that age, at 15, I mean, it's your body is changing, your hormones are changing. There's just a lot going on for a young girl. Never mind having that on top of everything else. Yeah, it was a really hard time. I was really depressed. I became suicidal. It was a really hard time in my life. Uh, When you are assaulted, a lot of women disconnect from their bodies even during the assault but then also you know around it so I really I just disconnected from my body but I also disconnected from family and friends and I did ask for help I reached out to ask for help but my family at that time did not believe in therapy like they also weren't clear on what was going on I was just crying all the time I was depressed and so they were not understanding what was going on I went to college and I went to therapy my therapist was amazing and I will always be grateful for her she told me what we need to do together is allow you to trust your intuition and it was so true that has been the biggest part of the journey is really to listen to my body. It's still something that I'm learning because I'm very intuitive. I was always super intuitive. Like somehow she just got it. And, and I think we all are, you know, but as a kid, I remember that I had a very strong connection to my intuition. And then this kind of choice that I made broke that. So That has been the biggest part of the journey is really to listen to my body, to connect to my body, which the hardest, the easiest, well, it wasn't easy. That's a lie. But Mm. (laughs) I was able to heal in terms of triggers or then I moved back to Israel. I would, because he was from there, I would hear like the name of where he's from or I would hear another person with his name and I would just be really paralyzed. So that is something that now I really manage well like I'm able to recognize okay there's a trigger right now it's okay yeah you can feel the physiological things happening in your body you're yeah. aware to what's happening as opposed to being unaware and just reacting or getting exactly. overtaken with emotion but the physical part of it like the physical connection to my body has been like a longer process and I made a video about PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder on my YouTube channel And so many people related to the fact when you're hungry, for example, you can't tell. That's something that used to happen to me a lot. Like I literally was so disconnected that I couldn't tell that I was hungry. Different 
actual processes happening in my body. Digestion was another thing that I struggled with a lot. Now it's a lot better, but it's still like something I'm working on. Like emotional and physical disconnect from your body because during the assault and then right after that and throughout the relationship, I didn't really have control over my body. Like I would just allow him to really tell me what to do. And, yeah, and you were, you couldn't, like you just numbed, numb yourself because you had mm-hmm. to almost protect that little girl within you. It was like just totally. numb out and then that's where that block is. Yeah, exactly. You've obviously dove in deep into building that relationship again with your body and very conscious and mindful of how you treat your body, of what you're putting in your body. And what I highlight with this is that food is like a relationship. You know, the way we are with food is it's, would you, do you agree? The way we are with food, it's it's like a relationship. Can you maybe dive in deeper? Yes, yes, absolutely. So I think that the beautiful thing about food is that when you work on your relationship with food, you actually are able to heal a lot of other things in your life. And the way that you relate to food reflects how you relate to a lot of other areas in your life. So if you feel like, oh, I get like so anxious around food or I feed myself to numb my emotions, that is going to affect so many other areas of your life. So now I really pay attention. Okay, wait, am I numbing my feelings through eating a lot? Even if it's healthy, it doesn't matter. I pay attention to that and it's like kind of a sign letting me know what's happening. Maybe I'm having anxiety and I just avoid it through the food. You want to change your state. You're like, let me go to the fridge, put it in my mouth. I feel a little bit different. And then the anxiety goes away temporarily. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really primal for all of us because it really holds within it also our relationship with our parents, how we were fed, our culture, our history, just like so many layers. So when people struggle to change their lifestyle, you know, there's all these like practical tips that I can give them, which I love. I love that side. But there's also so much more like different fears and things that hold them back and It was really cool. I did a hypnosis a while ago and about my relationship with food and overeating. And I found that the more I am in a state of victim mentality, which was really big in my life for many years, I would say I am a sexual assault victim. Now I would never say that word. And it's not just that. So even if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I I don't have that massive trauma in my life, but it's those little things like, for instance, when we're in traffic and we're just complaining, oh my God, I'm in traffic, that kind of self-talk or I have to, I need to, whatever. Like I start to notice when I say those things, they're huge because that's when I know, okay, I'm getting in my victim mentality right now and this is where I'm at. And so the hypnosis revealed that the more I do that, the more I want to eat. Because when you're in the victim mentality, you're essentially giving your power away. That's essentially what's happening. You're saying the victim, you are actually disempowering yourself energetically and you probably go to the fridge to get the energy back you know like there's a whole energetic circle happening there Mm, that's beautiful I yeah I love how you put that yeah you just explained it so well ah thank you but I like how you put to even when you're in the car or you're running late or when you're running this there's so many scenarios in our everyday life where we could adopt 
that victim mentality for that period, but you're not serving yourself by doing it. No, no. And another really interesting conversation I had with my two clients on group coaching, we were talking about how if you're feeling like all day long, you're doing things that you need or you're serving other people, but you're not excited about it. You're just like, I need to, I have to. Then you go to the grocery store or a restaurant, whatever. At the end of the day, you feel like now I'm going to reward myself for all the difficult things that I needed to do. And when you reward yourself, you're actually doing it in in an unhealthy way. I am like such that person when it comes to coffee. I'm like, oh my God, it's been so busy. I got to go. I got a meeting. Pull over to Tim Hortons, even though I know it's like five o'clock at night and I shouldn't. And do you say like, I deserve this. It's okay. (laughs) I say like, I need it because I've got more Mm -hmm. work to do, right? So it's like, oh, but I need it because I want to be alert and be on. So what would you say to someone who is in that pattern? Like if you notice that there is that addiction or like that go-to, that crutch? I would say that it's great because it's giving you information about yourself. And what you can learn is, okay, do I not have enough pleasure in my life? That's one thing, you know, start to have pleasure. So like with some of my super busy clients, I'll just say, well, can you have just five minutes for yourself? For example, my client said, when I read a book in the afternoon between meetings, just like me, myself and I, I read this book, I get so happy. Like she realized, oh yeah, when I do that, then I don't feel that need to eat. And so I'm facilitating her to realize, well, this is important. It's not less important than all the things you quote unquote need to do. So, you know, that conversation. And then another thing that's so important is that language that we have in our head. Like I have to, I need to. And I know because I did it all the time. And of course I still do because I'm human, but I, I'm really good now about catching myself when I do it. And I just ask myself, do I actually need to? No, no, I'm choosing to. So I just switch. And just that switch, coaching people to start realizing that language and starting to make that switch, it's huge. It makes all the difference. Things fall into place once they make that change. And that's like not just with food, that's with everything. It's like your whole dynamic with every relationship in your life will change when you take ownership of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you're a victim, it's not a happy place to be. Like it's a generally unhappy place. And it's, it's a place that doesn't allow you to actually step into your dream life. Because that requires creating and feeling powerful and feeling like you can accomplish things. So for me, like I I get that because I now say, you know, I allowed someone to make me a victim, but I allowed that to happen. And then I had to slowly make the choice and step away from that prison that even when he left, it was still there. It was literally like he was still here. And there were many moments and there still sometimes are moments where I'm like, whoa, I'm back in the prison, you know? Mm. So I, I literally have to step out, make mm. that choice to step out. The hardest realization is for everyone listening to really think about what do you enjoy about being a victim? Because we get something out of it. We really do. You know, the complaining, the, oh, I have to, we get something out of it. And I really enjoyed the sympathy from people because when I was assaulted, no one gave it to me. No one said, oh my God, like this is so hard. I can't believe you're going through this. I never got that. 
actually I got criticism. And so I was just craving it until I decided, first of all, I, I really did receive it later in life. So I'm really lucky from so many people, from an amazing partner, from my mom, from friends. Um, but I also started to give it to myself. That's the biggest thing is like, how can you provide that empathy, sympathy to yourself, like to your inner child or that compassion, the the compassion and just saying, you know, it's not okay that you went through that, but you're okay. And it's okay to feel the way you feel. You're safe, you know, and give that inner child like a little hug and, and say, but you don't have to live within that prison the rest of your life because that happened at one or however many points of your life. So many people are living in a prison of the past with a story, with a, you know, something that happened. It's just like, how long are we going to stay in that space? Like forgiveness or find a way to overcome it and, and move on. Yeah. You're making me think of this amazing book that I just read. It's called The Choice. It's, have you heard of it? No, tell me. Yeah. So it's by Edith Eager and she's a Holocaust survivor And she talks about how she was able to find choices even within the Holocaust. Mm. And she actually describes her experience there in the camps and how she was able to find choice even at that time. And she's now a therapist. She's like 93 or something. It's so beautiful because it's not meant to make you think like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a Holocaust survivor. Like that's extreme. But it's very relatable in the sense of like, where can we find choice in everything, everything that happens to us, because it's actually empowering. It makes you more powerful when you do that. At the end of the day, you just have a happier life. So So I want to pick your brain a little bit because in terms of choice related to food, we are so bombarded in our society with eat this, eat that, don't eat this, don't eat that. What is your personal take on food? The biggest myth is protein. I'm going to say it right now because we have a really intense meat industry all over the world. It's just been really ingrained in us that we need protein and we need a lot of it. And probably some of your listeners possibly have heard of a new documentary called Game Changers, which I'm so excited about. So it shows plant-based athletes. And, you know, ultimately, the people who need a little bit extra protein are athletes. And so they're such a great population to talk about when it comes to food and protein. And they just show you that they are doing great. And it is really possible to be a wonderful athlete and to eat a plant-based diet. So with, when it comes to protein, of course we need it. It is an essential nutrient, but we don't need a lot at all. So just to give you an example, you know, I'm very active. I weight lift for fun, not professionally, but I only get between like 40 and 70 grams of protein a day and I don't worry about it. So this is like a huge thing that I want to tell the listeners is it's not something to worry about. The World Health Organization actually recommends only 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is really low. So this is an international standard. I really enjoy evidence-based nutrition. I'm a nerd. I love the science. And the science is very strong on plant-based nutrition. And so plant-based means vegan, but it also means focusing on the whole foods. So whole grains, legumes, 
uh, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds, and seaweeds. That's what's included. It's basically avoiding animal products, but then focusing on how close we can get to the earth. You know, so there are many vegan products like fake meats and fake cheeses, which are great for transition. But if you want to get really healthy, it's about really focusing on the whole foods. Um, the less ingredients, the better. If you were to be on a desert island and have three foods that you were able to eat for, for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? <laughs> That's a good question. I love food so much, I have to say. It really brings so much joy to me. Oh, my goodness. And do they have to be, like, specific foods or can they be food groups? Specific foods. So just P.S., there's 20,000 species of edible plants in the world yeah and you're making me pick three okay i can do this <laughs> persimmons i know this is weird but it's a specific persimmon and if you haven't had it oh my god it's literally like heaven it's the hachia persimmon so it's like pointy and long and you have to eat it really really ripe but it's serious it's caramel it tastes like dessert it's amazing it's a winter fruit. I'd go with chickpeas because they're so versatile and I am Middle Eastern, so I just love my chickpeas. The third, okay, I would put greens in there, but I'm on an island so I can get them wild. So I'm not counting. There you go. It. You got that. That's your like wild card. <laughs> Sweet potatoes. Interesting. And what would you say for somebody who's listening? If they were to do a clean your fridge challenge and if you were to give them three things to do to their fridge just to help make it healthier. Someone's got a scattered fridge and I feel like your fridge is actually a reflection of your life in a lot of ways, like how you're talking about the reflection. I feel like there's a relationship with the fridge as well. So if you were to give... Can I just like steal this please? Because it is... I am <laughs> loving it. Yes, you can. Three, yeah, I love that. I just got the best image. Okay, <laughs> in my in my mind. Um, okay, so the first thing would be to remove processed foods. And... How you would know if something is processed is you just read the ingredients. And it's very simple. If you cannot recognize them, especially many of them, they're processed. And most foods that have a lot of ingredients are processed. Now, almost, I mean, a lot of what we eat has had some kind of processing to it. So, for example, a smoothie is processed, you know. But how I define like what you want to remove from your fridges when it's like refined, even though it's a really nice word, but that's kind of a step further. It's foods that are really just your body cannot recognize them at all. They have lost any resemblance to their original form. So foods that have ingredients you cannot recognize are out. Fridge and pantry, that would be the first step. The second step would be to remove, and you could do this all at once, or this is literally, I'm describing a process that you could do over like the course of a month, you know, and it's actually what I did with when I changed my lifestyle. So I first removed the processed foods. Then the next step would be to remove the animal products. So this includes meat, chicken, you know, all the types of meat that I don't even remember all the names anymore because it's been seven years, um, fish, eggs, and dairy and honey. And that's the second step, remove those. And the third 
very important one is to fill your fridge now with gorgeous food. How I recommend for people to shop is to go to the farmer's market or grocery store and really fill your cart at least 70% with produce because then you don't have to worry. You don't have to read the ingredients. You know, it's just, it's obviously good for you. Uh, fruits, veggies, legumes, whole grains, nuts and seeds. And then the rest of it will be a little bit processed. And how I see the rest of it is foods that help you eat the produce. That's that's why they exist. They make the produce a little more delicious. It doesn't have to be like an extreme, okay, go do this right now. It's just baby steps towards seeing what's working with your body and letting go of things that may not be the best for it. It's having an awareness to it. Yeah, absolutely. It is, for me, it was a process and it took a long time. And one thing that's really important, in my opinion, in food conversation is actually the ethical part of it. Because that, to me, like it inspires me so much and it has really helped me shift my food choices and stop my cravings, which cravings are not fun. Actually, there's a book called The Cheese Trap. It's by Dr. Neil Barnard, and it talks about how cheese and dairy in general is so addicting. He actually grew up on a farm in Fargo, (laughs) middle of nowhere, and he became plant-based in medical school when he was had to, to experiment on dogs in medical school. And so, yes, it's very addicting. And the way that I was able to overcome this addiction I battled it for like four years. I kid you not. I wanted to stop eating dairy for four years and I would just like not, I was not having it. And when I started to learn about the dairy industry and what happens there, which actually um, it is very graphic and the industry uses a term. This is an actual industry term, which is a rape rack. And this is how they impregnate the cows, you know, all the animals that produce milk, because it's not natural for them to be constantly pregnant and producing milk. Um, They only produce milk when they're pregnant, just like us. And it's funny because my mom taught me like the opposite. She said, yeah, the cows, they love to be milked. They're crying to be milked. And so this is what I believed most of my life. And so when I learned that and just kind of saw some of what goes on, not just in slaughterhouses, but, you know, just that whole industry with dairy and also how the the workers are treated. That's also huge. Um, Slaughterhouse workers have some of the highest rates of PTSD of any industry. A, A lot of the times it's, you know, immigrants are very poorly paid. So that there's that. And then there's the environment and how our food choices affect the environment where, over 51% of greenhouse gases are actually in a, uh, produced by these industries. And it's not cars or planes, you know? And so it's very sad. And it's also very empowering because we can do something about it. We have so that's a choice, the, right? It yeah. comes back to we have a choice. So be mindful. And as you do become more conscious about the food you're eating, the the products you're supporting it's actually an empowering thing yes exactly that's exactly how I feel now as a vegan an ethical vegan and a plant-based eater is that I'm making choices that come from my ethics and I feel that I have an impact with every meal which is so exciting because I really yeah I really enjoy that and one thing I want to say like I'm 
not a judgmental person and I don't think you're a judgmental person. So there's no judgment to anybody to what you're doing to right now. Like there's absolutely no judgment on either of our parts. All I'm asking is bringing awareness, just questioning the decisions you're making within that framework of your life. Yeah, it's definitely about the process that it takes. It's not, as you said, you don't have to do this overnight. And it's so okay if you have an, if you're, you know, looking into it, researching it and interested in what can happen and how your life can change. And it doesn't have to happen overnight. So that's a huge thing. And I love bringing in that ethical piece with my clients because it gets them excited. And I love working with people who care, you know, who just want to make good choices. And it's a reason greater than them. I'm personally, I'm a a pescatarian, so, but I don't eat meat. And that was because through traveling, I would go to different countries where they would eat dogs and I would not eat the meat there. I'm like, there's no way I am touching any meat because you couldn't tell. I'm like, I would never eat my dog. And uh, it really planted the seed of the question. I'm like, okay, well, why am I eating a cow? Like in India, cows are holy and they're sacred. And why am I eating, you know, chicken? If that, and it was that ethical question that was planted. And I did for a couple of years still eat meat, but anytime I ate it, I always thought about my dog and little by little yeah. that was the transition. And then when I did a Vipassana and it was a uh, 10 day meditation where it was just vegetarian, I stopped eating meat and I, and I feel empowered by that, but I don't. Yeah. That's but, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that really happens to a lot of people when they have pets because they look into the eyes of their pets and then slowly they realize, well, what's the difference with a cow or chicken or a pig, you know? So I love that. If anybody wants to reach out to you, where can they where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm on soulintheraw.com. That's my website. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, and I provide tons of recipes that you can check out and give them a try. And of course, I would love to invite your uh, listeners, if they are interested in plant-based eating, to have a session with me. All right, there you have it. What did you think? By now, you should be empowered to make conscious choices about what you're putting in your body and fuel it with the best possible options for the healthiest version of you. If you know someone in your life who would benefit from this conversation, give them the gift and share this episode with them. The beautiful thing about podcasting is that all it takes is one idea, one seed planted, and it has the ability to completely shift your life. I'll post a link to Marina in the show notes. So tag us both in your IGs with your takeaways to be featured. We love to hear what you think. Lastly, we've released weekly episodes. So remember to subscribe to not miss a beat. Until then, keep being you, be beautiful. Be beautiful.